Welcome to the Podiatry Profits Podcast, where you will discover how to get more patients and multiply the profits of your practice with minimally invasive foot surgery, proven marketing systems, and ethical influencing to your patients. And now, your host, board-certified podiatrist, best-selling author, speaker, and founder of TJ On Coaching and Consulting, Dr. TJ On. Hello, listeners and colleagues. This is Dr. TJ Yan. Welcome to another yet beautiful, awesome episode of Podiatry Profits Podcast. How have you been past week? So this episode will be interesting. Again, I was uh, interviewed at uh, another podcast host, Dr. Tyson E. Franklin from Australia, down under. And actually... It was um, not only fun, but we kind of hit off on a lot of different subjects. So, uh, you know, I asked him permission if I can let my listeners to to get this, you know, get the hands on this special episode. So he obviously he said yes. That was so nice of him. You will love this uh, episode because I'm going to be talking about my Aikido, my journey. Aikido is, by the way, Japanese martial arts. And then again, we elaborate into different subjects, importance of networking and connection, uh, how teachers and mentors will help you, you know, uh, achieve your dreams, a shortcut, being a adaptable and, and experiment, expen- experimentalist. I always have an issue with pronouncing this experimentalist and um, you know uh, the how you can increase your podiatry service to a concierge level with some strategies and tactics and um, I actually also talk about the uh, force of average I learned from another mentor at different uh, business mastermind meeting that how that force of average works on you secretly quietly to prevent you from uh, going through the next level. So, and also I, co- I cover up, talk about the social bullying that exists in, in modern society. So bullying is not only happening in the children and teenager, but it actually works in a bigger scale grown-ups. So, you know, you might find this episode very interesting. So without further ado, I'm going to play. By the way, if you love my episode, please don't forget to subscribe my podcast to your playlist. This way you you will not miss the episode. Um, And also, please write me a simple sentence and, you know, give me a rating if you uh, if you love my podcast that really helped me continue to provide you this type of value podcast for you thank you so much and enjoy the episode my guest today is dr tj Ahn. he lives in the united states in chicago but he made his way there via korea and what i think is amazing is when i read a little bit about his bio when he arrived in america you could not speak english very little thank you for coming on the show for starters and can you tell me a little bit about moving from korea to America in the first place. Well, I uh, first of all, it's my honor to be invited here in your show, Tyson. And I've been listening to your show. A uh, couple of colleagues, uh, they recommended to listen to your show and actually mutual 
uh, colleague, they've been to your show. And, you know, again, I, I truly appreciate, you know, you invite me here. Well, um, I came when I was 19. And at the time, Korea was kind of in the midst of democracy, uh, coming from more dictatorship to democracy and a lot of movement going on when I was high school and going through first freshman in college. It was a very tough times economically, politically, and a lot of young generation at the time, we, we have like no vision, kind of hard to see the vision. Well, now if I knew, you know, 30 years later, if Korea, you know, has been advanced this, this far, you know, I wouldn't have known back then. Yeah. So for us, um, getting out of Korea, well, for me, since I was 14, I, I was like dreaming every night. What, what year did you leave Korea? Um, end of 1990. Okay, just after the Olympic Games, 88. Yeah, so that was really turning point. And But then since I was 14, I was looking through like old used uh, bookstore, bring Korea, I mean the United States magazine. And then I was telling myself, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out of Korea. I'm going to get out of Korea, yeah. <laughs> you know? So it's like, I guess before I knew it, it was my mindset exercise at the time. And then it, it finally, I had the opportunity. So I didn't even think twice. I decided to just go for it um, by myself. So you, you moved to America and you said that your English was very minimal. Yeah, imagine if I, I don't know if you've been to America, um, you know, the Southern accent, right? The yeah. um, like uh, Tennessee, you know, the uh, Texas. So I chose Tennessee because, you know, lack of information, no internet at the time, I thought like somewhere like Tennessee, there there will be no Korean people. I didn't want to mingle with the Korean. I, I had a very strong goal. And then if I'm coming to United States, I didn't want to choose big cities where I possibly find the leeway and then try and maybe hang out with the Korean people yeah. because you, you feel more comfortable. So I chose Tennessee and, you know, yeah, I mean, I had very little English. I, I knew grammar. I knew some, you know, basics. We, we learned English since high school, I mean, middle school, high school, but no spoken English. So I had some idea, you know, but like, how are you? I'm fine. Thank you. You know, <laughs> a new type of thing, right? But no Southern accent. And I mean, it was tough. So so I take it in, in Tennessee, they, they, they were... Were there any Korean people that you met there or there's just... Uh, there was no Korean. No Korean. Yeah, a lot of Japanese though. Yeah. A lot of Japanese people. There were huge uh, Japanese uh, automobile company. So a lot of Japanese students were there. Okay, so when you first got to America, you arrived, you got here, you knew you obviously you were going to improve your English because you were forced to speak English. How long after getting arriving in America did you then decide you wanted to be a podiatrist? Oh, that's a while. That's a long time. My mother's side was a doctor. My mom, my mom's dad, um, they forced me to become a doctor. And again, typical, you know, it makes re kids rebellious. So yeah. I'm like, no, I mean, one profession I'm not going to choose is, is, is to become a doctor. So I chose computer science and business double major. Um, I graduated with those majors. Um, I was heavily involved in martial arts at the time, so I decided to go to Japan. I spent a year and a half working as a computer programmer, but then 
somewhere at that time, 1995 or so, it hit me that I better be a doctor. That's on my own conclusion, on my, on my own decision. I, yeah. I love using my hands. I love working with people, helping people. So I came back to Tennessee and then did biochem major again and then went to podiatry school in 1997. Okay, just take one step back. Did you say you were doing martial arts as well? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was very serious in um, Aikido, the Japanese Aikido. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and and um, I I met my first Aikido teacher in Tennessee, and you know it's kind of now look back, it's so important whom we meet, and then you know how how that kind of determines now that I look back, that martial arts teacher I met, um, he was a Southern actually Southern Baptist, he he was a typical Caucasian American but very seriously uh, involved in Japanese Aikido. And my teacher, first teacher, his name is Rob, but he introduced me to Chicago, which we had headquarters in Chicago. Yeah. So that's how we start traveling to Chicago for summer camp and you know winter training. And then I start seeing Chicago scenes and it seems very similar to Seoul, where I'm from. So... You know, um, anyway, yeah, martial arts, Aikido, close to 20 years. And then also Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I, I happened to meet in Chicago. So Jiu-Jitsu for about 12 years. Okay. Yeah. I, what what I, I always find it interesting, people that have done martial arts over a number of years, a certain discipline that they have. That yeah, you can, and you can usually pick when you're talking to them, and it'll come up in conversation, which I think is fascinating. And I just, I love all types of martial arts. I just get a lot of enjoyment watching it. We were in Japan a couple of years ago and they had an Aikido demonstration on in this park. We sat there for an hour or so watching it and there was a there's an older guy, looked like he was about four foot tall and a hundred years of age, and he is just throwing people all over the place. Yeah. All these people are coming at him and it was so enjoyable uh, to watch. But I thought it was really in- interesting what you said when you met Rob in Tennessee. Mm. how the connections that you make. And I've had other people on the podcast who have said the same thing, that always just pay special attention to the people you meet throughout your life. And when you meet interesting people, is make a really big effort to stay in touch with those people because it's an accumulation of the... It's this network you build over your career. Your career doesn't take place in, in a one- or two-year period. It's it's over a number of decades and you, you collect friends and acquaintances and, and relationships over the long term and you don't know where it's going to take you so i i agree i cannot agree with you you know anymore um my martial arts teacher through him i met my my true master his he, his name is uh tohei sensei he was in chicago he passed away unfortunately but he was also zen master so he when during the training he talks about a lot of zen philosophy and stuff um i remember you just what you just told me how you meet people and then they kind of formed your personality and character as well and he says um you know when we uh when we are immature emotionally and you know physically i mean you're like um he compared to square and then more you get trained that square becomes a triangle and then 
the triangle, more training, more experience, more wisdom, it becomes circle. Yeah. And then what we want to become after all is a circle. And then, you know, that's kind of main philosophy of Aikido. But those people I met, teachers I met, mentors I met, they kind of, you know, knock out some bad edges that I shouldn't have. And then, you know, before I know it, just by hanging out with these people, you know, it just kind of forms where I am now and what who I become. And I, I really believe, you know, whom you meet is very important, critical. Oh, def- definitely. And I think through your whole podiatry career, it's it's the people you meet all the way, everything you do, people you meet outside of podiatry, that also influences your thinking and your mindset and how you approach life. And, and I honestly believe and you read it in numerous books. You have a look at the five people you're the closest to and who you hang around with, and that has a massive influence on your drive, your dedication, how you approach each day. And I've been at events where I'll talk to a podiatrist for two minutes and I find them a little bit negative or a bit of a bit of a downer to talk to, and then yeah. you'll see who they're associating with and you talk to them and you go, my God, they're all the same. Then you hang around it's someone true, who's true. really upbeat and positive and you see who they hang around with and you go, oh, no wonder. Yeah, I want to hang around that group. So I think people need yeah. to do that and need to be aware of the differences and how they influence people. Yeah, especially now with this COVID and all this post-pandemic and new normal, people are tight, very uptight, stressed out. Um, they're almost, I just spoke with uh, another, again, another influencer the other day. Uh, seems like podiatry profession, especially now because of all this healthcare climate change on top of that, this whole pandemic, uh, it creates a lot of uncertainty and, and, and doctors and podiatrists, they're really down and, and kind of distressed and discouraged and losing hope. Um, yeah, so this is like critical time that you start recharge yourself and then meet people who are maybe more successful, more advanced than you, and then trying to just see the nice side of it, positive side of it, and, you know, encourage yourself to get out of that, that whatever hole or tunnel that you're thinking you are at, which is really just a paper thin, you know, if you just look the other side, I mean, I I really believe uh, that that little mindset shift will will take take you a long way. Yeah, I think sometimes too, people get mixed up with what they do and who they are. Mm-hmm. You may you may do podiatry may be your profession, but it doesn't necessarily mean that's what you are or who you are. That's just it's it's what you do. And I think some people can't find the difference between who they are as a person and what they do as a profession. And when we go through times like COVID and maybe work's been affected and your, your business may be affected, that it really sort of drags down on them. Totally, totally. Um, the I, I, you know more than probably anybody. Um, podiatry, podiatrist is what we do, but you cannot get too much of emotional involvement into your business. But a lot of doctors get to become. It seems like tend to become too emotional, and uh, that up and down of uh, business side of it. And I always trying to tell them. Just think of it as a number, you know, business. I know business is like your baby, but you cannot put too much emotion to it. Um, And like you said, don't forget who you are and don't forget your family. Yeah. Don't forget one life. Oh, definitely. We we better make the best out of it. (laughs) Yeah. 
I must admit when I sold my last practice and it was one of those things where I had broken emotional tie. Initially, I was very emotionally attached to my business, but when it came time to selling it, I was not emotionally attached to it at all. So when I walked away from it and the people that took it over changed things, may not have run it the same way that I ran it, maybe it didn't perform as well. Staff that were there kept saying to me, doesn't it hurt you to see what's happened to your business? And I no, no, it doesn't because I, I had emotionally broken those strings way beforehand, so I was no longer emotionally attached to it. Plus, I just kept looking at what they paid me and it put a big smile on my face. So, uh, yeah, so I didn't worry about that. So <laughs> let's get back to you. So you, you decided to do podiatry and mm. what took – so where did you end up studying podiatry? Uh, in Chicago. Oh, so, so it was in so Chicago? College of yeah, and you're, in, and you're in Chicago now. Yeah, yeah. Since then, pretty much this became my like – my second hometown was Tennessee, Maryville, Tennessee, and then third hometown became like Chicago. And they're completely different places. Like Chicago, yeah, Chicago to Tennessee. Yeah, it must different. be my destiny. It must be. I, I I don't feel too foreign wherever I go. I've been, you know, again, I've spent time in Japan. I've spent time in actually South America too. Yeah. Um, I didn't live there, but I visited quite often, stayed quite a while. Um, so, but for me, I don't know. I love meeting people, and I I think I'm more like I don't know if this is English word or not, but experimentalist. You know, I, I don't. I love to experience. I love to explore. Um, I I get excited and that adrenaline rush for something I haven't tried before. Yeah. So maybe that's my trait. You know. So again, surgery. When I came to that new techniques and stuff. Um, Whenever I see new technique, it doesn't scare me, um, but it makes me excited. It's being adaptable. It's having adaptability. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. So I've always been able to adapt to situations really easily. You've taken it to that next level coming from another country. But I think that trait is very helpful in podiatry when new techniques are sort of presented to us or new ideas. And some podiatrists almost put a wall up and go, oh, no, no, I want to just keep doing it the way that I've always done it. And other people just embrace the change, dive into it, and then usually come out the other end successful. Actually, you put it, put that beautifully. Oh, I want to paraphrase next time. <laughs> you know why? Because um, that adaptability, that's very true. Because I've been talking about that uh, in, in, in marketing sense for podiatrists that I always compare this to uh, survivor of the fittest, you yeah. know, the um, Darwin's theory. I mean, we do have to adapt to new environment to, to survive. It's not always the biggest guy, tallest animal to survive, but the, the fastest one who, who gets to adapt to the new environment, they're the ones who, who survive. And I guess you're right. I do have the trait that I, I didn't realize. Maybe that's why I perceive that as not fear, but you know, more like a challenge. Well, it's one of the things too that I think right now with, with COVID, a lot of podiatrists have got to learn to adapt. Like you do you do business coaching as well. So you, uh, what, what's the name of your coaching business? Oh, TJ on Coaching and Consulting. Okay, I'll put a link in the show notes. So you, you're helping podiatrists with their businesses as well. And I think right now, this is when people got to learn to adapt to the change. You can't sit down whinge and complain about it and, and have a sulk 
and say, oh, yeah, life is unfair. They've just got to adapt with what's happening and, and basically make those changes. Yeah. So again, that adaptation came for me 2012 to 2014, that era that I was going to quit podiatry because United States, that's the that downfall of insurance reimburse, reimbursement and whole healthcare rules and regulations just make our job so difficult. And it still is. So, you know, I learned that from martial arts. So if you see the strongest opponent, I mean, you know, probably the best way is just run away, you know. So <laughs> instead of instead of trying to fight against a big force, okay. So I have two choices. I can just to choose different profession. Again, I have that entrepreneurship at heart. Yeah. So I was involved in real estate, some restaurant business. So I'm like, okay, maybe just quit podiatry and focus on real estate or or create a Korean barbecue chain uh, franchise. Then again, the, another adaptation came uh, 2014 that I saw this one niche skill set that I that kind of it was like light light lightning struck on my head. Why don't I use this to adapt my podiatry practice to a new level that I don't have to deal with the insurance plan? So that that's the whole brand new adaptation happened around that 2014 through 2016 in my own practice. And I know right now, so in Australia and in the UK, for example, working with insurance companies isn't as difficult as it is in the United States. So I'm sure there's a lot of podiatrists in the United States right now. They've just heard what you said and their ears have just pricked up. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <And> that's <laughs> sure. I can see it. <laughs> and so one of the things that's about – when I had, you know, John Juliana? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when he was on the show and he was talking about with COVID and all the changes that need to be made, where now's the perfect opportunity. We, we can just provide, see less patients, but provide better care. And in the end, you can still have an absolute cracking business. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, again, a lot of that, you know, I love my colleagues. That's why I started consulting from it naturally, organically evolved from helping my, my, my own colleague around Chicago. And then it became to this business because a lot of US-based podiatrists, you know, we are brainwashed by, uh, you know, uh, the school system and insurance system that a lot of podiatrists think they're worth, to, worth equal to what US healthcare reimbursement pays. Yeah. So that's a big mindset block that okay my bunion procedure is worth what cpt which is um, a healthcare code in the united states what cpt reimburse so that's the first mindset that they need to break through and like you said i went through that before covid you know 2016 and 17 i start decreasing number of patients to see However, I increased the service level to concierge level, and we can finally start opt out of bad insurance plans and start treating patients the way you're supposed to, and then you get treated and you get rewards the way we're supposed to. And again, now this COVID hits this year, and another big proof for me that this is COVID proof. You know, that you don't have to rely on volume. And a lot of US-based podiatrists, they, they're still thinking, how, how can I get more patients? How can I get more, how can I see more patients and work 80 hours a week? 
that's not the way um, it's going to bulletproof you. And that's not the way healthy for you emotionally and physically. Now, I've been doing some group coaching uh, recently and doing this podiatry business reboot, pretty much off the back of what, what COVID had done to people's practices. And I thought, okay, I've got all this knowledge in my head. Let's put it together into something that I can help people get their businesses back on track. And it's surprising the um, how many times you'll hear patients, uh, podiatrists, always wanting more new patients. Everything's about new patients, which is fine. But if you look after the existing patients, and there's certain ways that you can actually do that, that there's a, already a goldmine in your practice. People just don't realize what's what's directly in front of them sometimes. It's so true. People who have paid you, trusted you enough to pay for your service once, they're your loyal followers. And I do have my clients as well, just like you did, Tyson. I had a one special coaching for I, it. The topic, the title, title, topic title was reactivation of existing patients. So I, I, I helped other doctors how you can reactivate you know, your current patients for your other services. I think the reactivation is a really, really important key. One of the things that we spoke about over like a three or four week period were recalls, reactivation, following up incomplete treatment. Those those three areas of your business are so important. And if you're not getting them right, it's just like having, the, it's having a, like we say, it's like having a bucket and it's got holes in it. You're pumping all these new patients in just to watch them all fall out the holes. If you plug up the holes, you don't need to put as many new patients in all the time. Yeah, yeah. They already love you, uh, that KLT, right? They know you, like you, trust you, um, that if you see, don't look too far away, especially reactivation of your own patients, it doesn't cost you any money. It, it just costs your staff time to call them, Yeah. you know, or maybe a little postcard to remind, remind them, hey, I'm here, you know, we still provide services, you know. Even that and some referral, again, I do, paid advertising through, you know, the Google, Facebook, uh, lead generation. So I do high level of funnels and, you know, bring high value patients for my concierge. However, you don't have to do that solely, but you can still rely, I mean, reactivate your current patients so you can save your advertising budget, but then you can still bring more patients in for your, you know, services. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I want to point out to people, you've written a book called opt out it's right here so you, you yeah see sure, yeah so, so if you're watching the video at the moment you'll see the book so on the top it says a whole new perspective on modern private practice so this book is this book only came out uh towards the end of 2019 correct yeah it's it's available in amazon i know mm -hmm. i'm looking at the amazon page right now and how do you have an audio book as well or is it just in print yeah, I do have an audio book. Uh, professionally done. Again, I didn't want to use my own voice. I have an accent. I was thinking about I didn't, it. I didn't then, notice you had an accent. Well, oh, I wish you hadn't I told do. me. Now, now that you've told me, I notice it. <laughs> <laughs> so I use a very uh, standard American accent voiceover um, actor. Yeah. So it's a very professionally done. However, um, Tyson, can I can I drop some value uh, value bomb here? Oh yeah, drop, drop as many yeah, as you want. So for your listeners, you know, um, it's optoutbook.com. It's it's opt optoutbook.com. They can get this book, physical book, for free. They just have to cover for shipping, and 
you know, I'll send this physical book with some of my personal notes and, you know, some, some more valuable information enclosed into that envelope. And I'd love to send this book to any listener, you know, of your show who, who checks out my, my site. Well, I'll put a, a link in the show notes as well. And I'll also, in the Podiatry Business Owners Club and on the Podiatry uh, Legends podcast pages, I will put a, a thing about uh, a link to that website as well. So people can oh, go on there so and uh, and grab a copy of the book. Yeah, I do have a I, I do have a free Facebook group too. So if you if you you know if it's okay with you, yeah, you know, what, yeah, no. What, what's the what's the Facebook group? Facebook group is Podiatry Profits. Oh, I like the name Podiatry yeah. Profits. You see, reason reason why I come up with that idea is that a lot of podiatrists are focusing on revenue. Yeah, you know, so that revenue makes you think about volume. Because again, in United States, typically you have to see volume to generate revenue. So for me, it's a negative connotation. What about not just revenue, but what about profit? You know, so if you can focus on your profit, then you don't have to so much rely on volume or insurance plan, but you provide quality service to just enough less patients. I typically see 10 patients a day, three days a week. Um, so I love what I'm doing. I'm yeah. excited to get up every day because, you know, I have a few surgical patients and, you know, seven, eight follow-up patients, new patients. I'm okay because my profit is fine, you know, better than most podiatrists who heavily rely on volume and revenue. So that's why I love the idea of profits. Oh, that, that is so true because so often people go, oh, I turned over a million dollars last year. And you go, okay, but what did you keep? Because yeah, someone might turn 20%. over a million, <laughs> yeah, they might turn over a million and keep two hundred thousand. Somebody else might be turning over half a million but keeping three hundred thousand. Which business would you prefer? Yeah, I totally. That, that's that's my pitch basically for my coaching and consulting. Hey, would you like to make one million and then bring twenty percent back home, or just make half a million, bring forty five percent home? You know. Yeah. 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 I think we get too focused on the generation of revenue. And, and sometimes we don't look at our expenses as well. We will, there's a lot of areas where you could probably trim the fat a little bit and have a more so profitable true. business, but you need to sit back and take a look at it. So in your book, what, what are you covering in the book that uh, the premise of opt-out? Sure. Uh, this is like 90, 97 pages or so. So I, I came up with this idea when I was traveling back to South Korea um, like three, four years ago. Yeah. So it was an eight hour trip. So I just started writing notes. And uh, that's when I kind of decided, okay, my second career um, after podiatrist is not just helping my patients, but how can I help my colleagues so that they don't have to struggle throughout their career? So this is like, I should have called it uh, like playbook, you know, it, it's a playbook. It's not a thin, I mean, it's not an ebook, but it's a playbook that has 10,000 foot overview of, of um, concierge practice, idea of concierge practice. And a lot of podiatrists in the United States, when I say word concierge and they run away, they're like, oh, I, I'm, I'm fearful of talking about money. Oh, can you, are you crazy, TJ? TJ I'm going to drop out my insurance plan. I'm going to lose all the patients. So I came up with, okay, so it's not concierge, doc. It's a hybrid concierge. So hybrid concierge, you mix, you keep the good insurance plan, 
but you don't have to hold on to bad insurance. And I'll, I can show you the way because I've proven to myself, I helped many doctors in the United States now. So that's like overview of big pictures. Um, I call it introductions. And then first part is anatomy of podiatry success. And then second part is physio- physiology of success. So yeah. I call it anatomy and physiology. It's almost like a strategy and tactics. Okay, yeah, that makes total sense. And I always say that with strategy and tactics. One's, you know, strategy is like the diagnosis and tactics is the treatment. And sometimes sometimes people will just dive into the treatment. They're 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 hell-bent on coming up with more tactics to get more patients in, not first realizing what's a diagnosis, what's the strategy of your business first, once you figure out what the diagnosis is, then you can put the treatment plan in place. No different to how you, you work with your patients. Oh, that's that's true. I like that, yeah. Yeah, strategy strategy and tactics, I think sometimes people just get them totally mixed up. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Some people are good at strategy. Some people are good at tactics. But as a mentor and as a coach, I'm sure you agree with this. Um, you should... You, you you would be able to tell. Like, as soon as you talk to someone and start mentoring someone into your program... You can tell what's his strength, what's her weakness, and then like, is is it more strategist or tactician? And then you know you're the one who who can guide them. Okay, I I can I can amplify what they're good at already, but I need to hone their the other side where they're weak. Uh, I think um, I that's why I love helping other doctors because when I see that outcome from them going through breakthrough and then their profit surges, you know, it just makes my day, you know, whenever I get these beautiful testimonials and video uh, and, and there, we have a, a private membership portal and we have a section that doctors claim declare their small wins. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm helping them to focus on, Hey, do small wins. You don't need big wins right now. And small wins, small wins every day, and then it'll it'll build you into that big win. Well, I had two one-on-one coaching clients that I've only been working with since the whole COVID nineteen thing started, and I've had two of them send me emails uh, early this month. So we're recording this in August. Who said to me that July was the best month they have ever had? Oh, that's so nice. And yeah, they just and so nice. as soon as I got the email, I just went and said to my wife, I said. Look at this. I said, how good is this? And it makes you, it makes you feel good that, one, you're helping – like I get a real buzz out of helping other podiatrists have good businesses. I've always enjoyed it, which is why I'm doing this now. But it's also good for them to see that while a lot of people are, are running around saying the sky is falling, if you run your business the right way, now is a great opportunity to actually build your business and, and take it to that next level. Make it different to everybody yeah. else. Yeah, you know, I think history – that's why we, I think people should study history. I love history, uh, Asian history, European history, rise and falls of dynasties. I love those. Um, the, the golden opportunity, I truly believe this, golden opportunity always arised during the crisis. Yeah. And, you know, if you decide to be a victim or winner, it's up to you. But I think if you can find this as your golden opportunity, this is once in a lifetime, you know, so, uh, I think that if you can tweak your mindset, find your niche, um, you know, get some solid marketing strategy and tactics in place, 
and adjust your your um, uh, the practice system, I think you're set to be crazy profit victory um, and also help you finally, finally realize why you became a podiatrist in the first place. Yeah. I know some people who, uh, not anti-business, but they're almost like anti-success. Oh, I did, yeah, I'm, I'm not into podiatry for the money. I'm in it because I wanted to help people. And I'm thinking... Do you know that if you actually help people the right way, you can't help but make money? And if you don't like the money, you have two options. You can give it to charity or you can give it to me, whichever one makes you feel better. But if, you, if you're really anti-money, you don't have to keep it. You can actually give it away. There could be local – I'm sure there's local charities that would love for your podiatry business to be more successful and you give them 100 grand a year if you don't really want to put it in your bank account. Yeah, so true. I mean, how can you help other people if you if you cannot help yourself and your own family? Yeah, I mean, I, I always believe in that. Uh, that's the whole idea of that money is root of all evil. I mean, that's such a you know baloney um, that 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 whole term created by probably media uh, and history and big institution and big brother that they want everybody to be uh, average. So I call it force of average. I learned from my mentor. <laughs> force of average. <laughs> force of average. There's always, there's a beautiful universal force of abundance, but there is a force of average working on you whenever you start being in doubt about being, so, well, that's called also fear of success, right? I'm yeah. sure you know. So a lot of doctors have that, even if they don't want to admit it, they have that fear of excess, uh, fear of success because that force of average working on them, hey, hey, TJ, no, you cannot be successful. Just just be where you are and be happy where you are and, you know, survive your life and get your retirement fund and then just finish your life. Is that why you we were born to do what we do? I don't think so. I think we, we all of us born to do, create a little nick on this earth before we, we leave this, this life. And I don't want you to get discouraged and swayed by the force of, uh, average working on you, you need to get that out of the way and then just achieve your dream, achieve your goal. And then don't forget why you became a podiatrist when you were going to school. We forget because of this life, because of this tough work style, you have life, you have family, you have, you have this beautiful one-time life before we finish, um, finish this so yeah i get a little emotional i know like i just agree with you somebody asked me a while back why do i do what i do now and i said well i know personally i will not find the cure for cancer it's pretty obvious but i'm hoping one day i inspire somebody who inspires somebody who inspires somebody who does find the cure for cancer and i sometimes feel i'm just a cog in this, I'm just one little cog in this massive wheel that's going to go around. Mm. And whatever knowledge I push on, it could be this podcast. There'd be a, a podiatrist student right now or a podiatrist has been out for a few years who are listening to this conversation between you and I and it just sets off a trigger in their head. And they go on and achieve amazing things. But by them achieving amazing things, they might donate money to a, to a charity that helps an orphanage. There's a kid in that orphanage that all of a sudden ends up going to medical school and becomes a research scientist and finds a cure for cancer, all because of our conversation today. So it's, what, it's like almost like the butterfly effect. It's just what is going to happen. Oh, I love it. 
Yeah, butterfly effect. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I think we've just got to be our best selves today, next week, next month, and when our numbers up, <laughs> then at least we can go out with a go out with a smile on our face. Yeah, yeah. And when I help other doctors, that's the first thing I work on that when you wake up tomorrow, are you going to be a better version of yourself or you're going to be the same version of yourself or maybe worse version of yourself? And again, when when we focus on a goal, attainable goal and then and then just driven and focus on it and implement that's a that's a big for me implementation without implementation is is basically nothing it's just a dream yeah but when you have a implementation and goal in mind and actually get to do it and and then you know take action get it done um then i think um that habit you create habit create a habit of getting small tasks done every day toward the big goal i think um it'll make you feel good make you feel alive and again, is there's no gloomy, uh, you know, the, I think there's a better future for you. Um, that's my, my passion and my job and mission that I feel like nowadays. I tell you, I get pumped up when I get certain guests on here and I just, I just get, I'm, I'm very calm as I'm talking, but in the inside, my, I'm like just bouncing off the walls. So yeah, hey, I mean, we should create, collaborate, um, big yeah. conference, virtual conference. You know, joining, uh, gather this force together. Um, I, again, I, podiatrists in America also a, a lot of them agree. They have that weird mindset going on that we're not MD. You know, so uh, again, well, if you feel inferior or weird mindset toward the MD, two ways to beat that to me one way you just become so good at what you do yeah like surgical skills special expertise second way probably it'll be easier but you know don't take this wrong way but second way you become more successful financially you become more wealthy more financial financially successful and then and then that i call it social bully adult version of bully that'll go away and people start respecting you more. And because um, they're going to wonder, what do you do? I thought you were a podiatrist. <laughs> well, how can you drive that kind of car? You know, how can you live in that kind of house? Well, you know, you don't have to explain things. And yeah. I don't know in Australia how it is like, but I'm just being very vulnerable and honest here in this show. I feel like you're opening me up to go into more like that, that things that a lot of US-based podiatrists are holding on to and, you know, for some reason being shy or not wanting to talk about, but you don't have to be that way, you know, be good at what you, what you do, defend it like a hell. I call it go to the top of the mountain and defend it like hell. No matter what happens, if you believe that service is your niche, you have to defend it. You have to defend it like there's no tomorrow and be successful financially. No, it's it's interesting that you say that because in Australia, for example, and Australia, UK, and because I've I've been dealing with podiatrists for a number of years in all the different countries, I sort of I got my head around their thinking a little bit more, and I have seen that exactly that. And it's in Australia, especially, like even the term doctor in Australia, we're legally allowed to use the term doctor. Majority of podiatrists would never use it 
because they go, oh, we are not worthy. But we, we, shouldn't be caught, we shouldn't be using that title. And you go, but legally you're allowed to. Oh, yeah, but I think anyone that does is, is, uh, is stupid for using it. And you go, but they're legally allowed to. And what it wow. is, it's because they're comparing themselves to, say, general practitioners or other professions. And I just, to me, I don't understand that mindset. I look at it this way. If I want to use it, I'll use it. And if somebody says I can't, I'll go, well, legally I can. It doesn't really bother me. Yeah, yeah. Again, I've, I've, I've been through that social bully, um, um, institutional bully. Um, but then, again, maybe because I, I'm a survivor, I feel like I'm a survivor in the United States, um, you know, maybe I have a different mentality, but I, maybe not because I see my colleagues who were born in the United States going through the same thing as a podiatrist. Um, that's why I came up with this, that idea. Again, if you want me to talk about a little bit about the minimally invasive foot surgery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to finish. I wanted to touch on that before we finished up that you, you do uh, teach minimal, minimal incision surgery as well. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it, again, it's been popularized back in the day, 70s and 80s. United States was huge minimally invasive surgery, but then they went through some political, you know, fight and you know they became victim of that whole political fight and then it, be, it went to completely shadow uh, under the shadow for i don't know maybe 30 years 20 years maybe 20 years and that's why a lot of young podiatrists and a lot of practitioners we never heard the term minimally invasive surgery until recently um it, it, again but then my mentor dr St uh, steven isham he was one of the pioneers of MIS, and then he went to, because of their political trouble in yeah. the whole climate, he didn't give up. That's why he's my role model, because he believed in what he did, and then he didn't give up. He went to abroad. He went to Europe. He went to South America. He went to Asia, and then he started teaching orthopedic surgeons in, in, in MD people. Uh, so he trained so many thousands of orthopedic surgeons during those 20 years of um, the dark days in United States. And then now because of health climate change and whole in-office procedures getting popular and reimbursement issues of uh, plating system and screw system in United States, suddenly um, minimally invasive surgery, minimal incision surgery is a big surge now. So that's, that was my one thing that I didn't say the earlier, 2014, that triggered my whole cascade of idea. Okay, this is it. This is the one I'm going to go after, become good at it, and I'm going to promote it and defend it, and I'm going to start helping other doctors. So that's the story of minimally invasive surgery for me that changed, you know, whole, whole vision and picture of uh, the podiatrist as a practitioner. So I, I hosted three uh, minimal incision surgery cadaver lab conference in Chicago, Yeah, uh, three of them. And then I opened to anybody, any profession. So we had a general practitioner came and, and we have a lot of orthopedic surgeons came. Again, that's why you don't have to feel like orthopedic surgeons versus MDs versus podiatrists. We all provide healthcare. They're not good at what we do. We're not good at what they do. If someone trying to bully you, like you, like I said, 
you have to have that strong few niche become good at it so they cannot uh, be condescending or ignore you or, or weird attitude. And, and because your belief and you have a proven track record, you have a proven social proof, nobody can touch it. I think that is fantastic. And you're, you're still running these courses at the moment or not while COVID's going on? Oh, I do. I do. Still you know, doing them? That, that, yeah, that annual conference, the big one, is canceled. It, it is rescheduled to next year. Yeah. But again, that doesn't stop me. So, you know, I have a small private group setting. I limit to five doctors and I still train them once a month um, because I really believe there is a power and benefits of minimal invasive surgery that you can you can utilize in your practice. No, well, I think that is a great way to finish on. So, Dr. TJ, I want to thank you for coming on the Podiatry mm -hmm. Legends podcast, sharing your knowledge, your wisdom, your inspiration. Um, so thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. And again, I'm launching my own podcast too, and I'd love to invite you uh, as my guest. Um, oh, I'd and love then, to come on. You know, I'd love to continue to collaborate with you, and thank you so much for inviting me. I feel it's almost an hour, but I, it flew like 15 minutes to me. And I, I can I can chat with you all night. No, no, it's been yeah, it has been, it's been a lot of fun actually. And so, do you know the name of your podcast yet? Yeah, it's again Podiatry Profits Podcast. Okay, that's perfect. And when's that coming out? <laughs> when's that starting? Uh, next week, so August August seventh, August maybe August 10 or something like that. So next Monday. Okay, that's good. So this episode will come out just after that so people can start hunting down your podcast. Also remind people that uh, go to optout.com. Optoutbook.com. Optoutbook.com. Yeah. Uh, to order the free book, just got to pay for the postage. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so Dr. TJ, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Tyson. It was fun. You've been listening to the Podiatry Profits Podcast with Dr. TJ on. To find out more about Dr. TJ On or discover how you can grow your podiatry practice, visit drtjon.com. Or you can also get a free copy of Dr. On's best-selling book, Opt Out, How to Take Back Financial Control of Your Private Clinical Practice Without the Hassle of Insurance Companies. Just go to optoutbook.com. <laughs>